Welcome to Emirates Podcast, episode number 69. This is your host, Suman Silwal. But run for in memory of kids, in honor of kids. Just keep them on your mind and, and don't forget that nobody likes to think about childhood cancer. I didn't. What they go through every single day, I can go out there and suffer for 100 hours because those kids suffer to from the beginning, uh, the beginning of time as they fight through this. They're so much more tough uh, than we ever dreamed about being. Visit mrounds.com to listen to our previous podcast episodes, links to our social media channels, and get race discount codes. I'd like to welcome Amanda Nur and um, Greg uh, Yagma to Emron's podcast. How are you guys doing this this evening? Great. Good. How are you? Uh, great to have you both of you in uh, this podcast. Amanda is a co-founder of uh, Hope for Autumn Foundation, and uh, and Greg is about to run uh, outrageous miles for <laughs> for the foundation. That's why we have both you here in the, in this podcast. Uh, great to have you here. Um, let's start with you, Amanda. Tell us about the story about uh, the foundation. Okay. Well, um, first of all, thank you for having me, and thank you, Greg, for doing this amazing thing for us. Um, we really appreciate it. What I want to tell you first, and then I'll give you some background, is that Hope for Autumn Foundation. What our mission is is to financially assist families battling childhood cancer in Alabama. So we help pay um, car payments, insurance, um, rent, mortgages for families that are battling childhood cancer and our patients at Children's of Alabama. So we mainly stick to patients that are local here in the state. Um, a family, when they're battling cancer, can lose up to 40% of their income. And so they really struggle not only with the emotional parts of dealing with the child that's battling cancer, but financially. So we really try to step in, and, and anybody that's a patient at Children's of Alabama can apply for assistance, um, and we just will write checks to vendors to, to help them. Um, the other part of what our mission is is we fund innovative research at Children's of Alabama. So we have cutting-edge research right here at UAB and Children's of Alabama, and we really like to fund that because there's just only 4% of all um, research from research funds from the government go to childhood cancer as a whole, so it's very underfunded. And then finally, we like to raise awareness of childhood cancer because we believe that that um, awareness leads to funding, and funding leads to cures. Definitely. Um, the way I got involved in this was when my daughter was six years old. She was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. She was having symptoms, sort of like a like appendicitis. And we took her to the doctor, and it was an emergent situation. And she had a 10-centimeter tumor on her ovary at six years old. Wow. Um, it was very scary and terrible time. Must be, a, must be a very difficult time for you and your family as well. It was. Um, she had a 4% chance of survival. Her tumor is very rare. And we were became patients at Children's of Alabama and had an incredible doctor. And she had six rounds of chemotherapy a stem cell transplant, multiple surgeries, 30 days of radiation, and six months of um, a maintenance therapy. And she missed her entire first grade year and then was back at school in second grade and was cancer-free. Um, it was a very terrible time for us. And bills, we I think we paid off the bills maybe this was seven years ago, maybe three years ago we finally paid off the bills. So it's just so financially taxing to have a child with cancer, much less what it does to the rest of your family emotionally. Um, then she was cancer-free for five years, and unfortunately went two days before her 13th birthday relapsed with um, another tumor. And she endured more surgery, more chemo, and is currently on a, a maintenance regimen of chemotherapy where she takes every month. 
Um, it's a kind of a target drug. That, luckily, we had five years in between, so they were able to do quite a bit of science. And we were able to find this target drug that is more like a smart bullet than what general chemo is like a nuclear bomb for her body. Um, she's 14 years old and she's about to start running um, Hoover High School cross country, even though she's still, in fact, this week she's at cross country camp and she's taking chemo this week, but she's, so she's a very strong and um, very driven child. So she's 14 now. Wow. Um, so, she's such an inspiration to all, you know, when her struggle and being a runner now. So that's a really great story. She is. She's an inspiration to me, even. I, I just am amazed by her. But in the meanwhile, when all this was happening, um, there was a person in our neighborhood whose name was Travis Diggs and his wife, Anne, and they were holding a crawfish boil uh, for a family, another family with a little girl named Autumn, just to raise money to help them financially. And it was very successful, and Autumn um, ended up doing very well, and they decided to benefit another family. And so in 2010, they benefited our family. And I promised them that I could help after, after that first boil in 2010. And so the next year I helped with the crawfish boil and it got bigger and we raised more money and we were able to help a lot of families. And then Travis came to me and said, um, what do you think about five, founding a 501c3? And I said, okay, let's do it. So we, we started, we were founded officially in 2012 as Hope for Autumn Foundation. And we have grown from a basically a backyard crawfish boil to a boil this year in April had 2,500 people, 4,000 pounds of um, crawfish. We raised $165,000, and um, that's just our main event. Now, we used to benefit one or two people every boil, but now we have applications open all year round. We're able to assist families all year round. We have awareness programs in September that reach um, thousands of people, and we also um, are able to fund quite a bit of research. So. We are very proud, and we work very hard, and, and luckily we have a lot of donors that are very helpful, but we're always looking for more, and Greg dedicating his this run to us, it means so much to us. It just, the first time around when Emily was sick, I've known Greg for a long time. He ran 100 miles for her, and literally just for our family and her, and was able to raise his goal, and which was $10,000, and it was amazing, and it really helped us, and so when he came to me with this, I first thing I said was, you're crazy, but this was great. <laughs> And, and I know you, and I know you can do it. So, yeah, um, the runners are never crazy, especially ultra ultra marathoner. So, so. yes, <laughs> and and he's doing for such a great cause. I know we'll 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 get to talk to Greg in a minute. So, um, Amanda, uh, talking about a foundation, let's let's talk a little bit more about it. you. Talked about assisting. Uh, how many people you you assist? Is it a financial assistant, or do you do other other assistance too? Right now, it's financial. We've um, already given out just this these last 10 days I've written checks $15,000 worth of checks um, towards like I said car payments car insurance companies um, one child this week has gained a lot of weight from steroid treatment a lot of cancer treatments the patients have to take steroids so she gained a lot of weight now and could not wear her clothes so the mother reached out to us for a gift card for her to be able to go buy some new clothes and so um, we're in the process of getting her that right now. Unfortunately, we're also paying for a funeral this week. You know, just because a patient doesn't make it, or a family, it doesn't mean that they don't need financial assistance to help them through these times. We just really want to take financial burden off of these families because there's so much other burden involved with, with childhood cancer emotionally and physically. 
Um, a lot of times families don't even really, you're just focused on getting through it. So you're in the hospital and you're just taking it day by day. You're going to get through it. And then when you kind of come out of it, you're like, oh, wow, I have all these bills. I've had to pay for my food in the hospital. I've had to drive. If they don't live in Birmingham, you know, 95% of childhood cancer patients from Alabama are treated at children. So they may have to drive from Mobile or from Montgomery every day for clinic visits. And that's a lot of gas and a lot of mileage on your car we've helped pay with gas um, cards thing all sorts of things like that just financially to ease the burden so that they're able to focus on their child and getting their child well definitely uh talking about the research uh what kind of research uh which which uh university or, or research center, center do you partner with we fund a specific program called the developmental therapeutics program and it's here at children's and and uab and um it, what they do is what they say, what their name is, they develop new therapies. Um, 80% of kids will be cured of cancer when they're diagnosed, but 20% won't. So we really like to focus on that 20% and really like to fund the new therapies because new therapies are so much less toxic. Just as you see with my daughter, she's at cross country camp while she's on chemo this week um, because it's a new therapy that she's taking. It, they're just so much less toxic. You're able to live your life. They're trying to make um, actually you know, cancer be more like a chronic illness than, than a death. And it's, it's really amazing what they're doing right here in Birmingham, even. And we really like to focus on the local research. There's lots of other hospitals, one in particular that is very big on research, but they have a very good marketing company and, and everybody knows their name and they are wonderful. But we people don't realize that there's one really amazing research right here in Birmingham. And we have an incredible facility. And this developmental therapeutics program is great. In fact, my own daughter, Emily, they took part of her, t- her tumor and put it in a mouse and has, have grown it, and they're able to test new and different therapies on that mouse. And that's part of what this funding goes to is, is these kids that have very difficult to treat cancers. Or a lot of times they turn to this program when they've gone through all the standard treatments and nothing has worked. And so this program is going to give them hope because it's new, new tries. It's phase one therapies. It's the first time they've been treated or tried in humans. Definitely. Uh, talk about uh, awareness. What kind of other things you do beyond uh, crawfish uh, for awareness? You mentioned a little bit that. Uh, can we talk about that? And when is your other events as well? T- t- tell us about that. Yes. Well, we started a Give Hope Day um, in the Hoover City Schools. We'd like to expand. But right now we're in Hoover City Schools, and they it is usually the first day of autumn. September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. So on Give Hope Day, we have given kids um, gold bracelets, um, and administrators and teachers and these kids, it's amazing the compassion they have for families or that are battling cancer. They write cards, they have pep rallies about fighting cancer and they just, it's just put on their minds and their families and their parents' minds. And, um, you know, everything in October is dedicated to pink. Everybody knows that October is pink and breast cancer. And that's such a wonderful cause as well. But childhood cancer needs so much more funding right now. Um, they've only developed or approved maybe three new medications in the past 20 years for kids that's specific for childhood cancer. Um, so we really need funding. We're grossly underfunded. And, and so awareness, I think, in this school, there's 15,000 students at Hoover City Schools, and we implemented this Give Hope Day in all of the schools of, of Hoover. So 15,000 kids were exposed and teachers and parents to this Give Hope Day and to, to being aware of childhood cancer. Definitely. Um, talk about uh, increasing awareness. Um, 
Tell us uh, what a running community, like um, our running community here, trail and road running community, can do it for you. Most of my uh, listening listening audience is a runner, so so it's kind of wanted to help you to spread the word out for you as well in that community. Well, um, I'd say when you are thinking of donating to somebody, with your dollars, if you're if you have a philanthropic heart. Put your dollars towards childhood cancer. Um, if it's our foundation, that's great. If it's any other foundation that helps families that are battling childhood cancer, also to, to remember that there are a lot of families in Alabama, and a, and they all, 95% of them are treated right here at Children's. Um, I'd say support Greg. I mean, and his what he's doing is amazing. Um, so, do I you want to do you want other events? Uh, would you like to in, in the see in the future maybe? Uh, race a 5k 10k or even I mean, have more runners to do go go big races like that so oh yes absolutely any kind of race for that raises awareness of cancer or raises funds for research or helps financially support families and um, we have our big crawfish boil at the end of april and then we have a fall fizz and fair in september which is um it's basically kind of like beer and wine and chefs from throughout birmingham um but run for in memory of kids and honor of kids. Just keep them on your mind and, and don't forget that nobody likes to think about childhood cancer. I didn't. I I wanted. I was an RN. I wanted to stay far and wide from anything that had to do with childhood cancer. But till it happens to you, and it's it's not rare. It's one in three hundred kids get cancer before they're twenty one, which is not rare. And so if you just keep it on your mind, keep putting your dollars towards it when you're giving. Um, I think that's an extremely good way to help. That sounds like a great advice, uh, Amanda. And uh, I would like to thank you for coming to this podcast. Before I move on to Greg and talking about his adventure and his training, would you like to say anything to any, uh, our listener listening to us more than what you just said? Um, I don't think so. I just want to thank you so much for, for letting us come on and that you're giving us a voice, which is very important. And Greg is is trying to get the word out there too. So you allowing us to talk about this is very important. So I, I really appreciate it. Amanda, before uh, you, 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 you hang up, uh, just uh, just want to give Emily good luck uh, for her training, training for a cross-country team from one runner to the next runner. So uh, t- tell her good luck. Thank you so much. Runners are a great group of people. I know that for sure. And thank you, Amanda. No problem. Thank you. Greg, uh, it sounds like uh, you're ready to run a uh, run a 205 miles. Uh, that's what I heard. That's what he told me. Uh, Tahoe 205. I have never gone any anything beyond 100. Uh, uh, and we just heard Amanda talking about uh, the cause that you're running. Let's uh, let's kind of re- rewind and talk about your running journey before we talk about the Tahoe uh, 205. I was never really an extensive runner. I'd run a half marathon here and there. And then probably about 2009, I was a little bit out of shape for me. I'd always been active, and I was online one day, and I saw this word ultramarathon. I had no idea what it meant. And then, of course, I started doing some research, and I found the Mississippi 50, which was a 50-miler in Mississippi, and I, and I had never run more than a half marathon. And I said, you know what? I'm going to run that, which sounded crazy, but I signed up that day, and I hadn't run more than three or four miles in years. And then eight months later, I ran the Mississippi 50, you know, and it was kind of uh, kind of got hooked that way. And then about seven months later after that, I ran Tenhody, and that was in 2010. And then after that, it kind of died down a little bit. And I'd run a half marathon here and there, or I'd try to run at least a 50K a year. Um, so that's really kind of the, the running journey of 
where I came from. I went to a military college and we had to run there, but nothing, you know, further than six or seven miles. Which military college did you go? I went to the Citadel. Citadel. In Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. The, yeah. I, I used to teach at Marion. So the, the, gotcha. And um, the, as as um, as a running wise, uh, you you run almost every day, but you don't run that far. So. Yeah, you don't run that far, and then they stop you a lot to do some sort of exercises in the middle of it, or screaming or yelling at you, or something like that. But, <laughs> but the actual running part of it was not too taxing, really. I, I remember back in those days that they used to wake up five, wake me up at five o'clock in the morning running around. So, right. <laughs> but uh, talking about running, um, running journey. So, so you you are not a, uh, any athlete or anything, anything uh, like not, that. Well, I was what you what you would call the slightly above average high school athlete and I probably in my own mind I was slightly above average I was probably right at average I mean I played football and baseball and tennis but you know didn't actively do any running back then it really wasn't until I got to military college that I ran at all so talk about running uh running distance uh what did you as you were training for Pinhody back in the back in those days uh I mean we're talking about 2010 that's uh that's almost the beginning of Pinhody the 100 milers were sort of in the infantile stages at that point. There was, you know, a handful of them around the country. So it was, it was sort of an unknown uh, to everybody, really. And, I, you know, it, the funny thing is I can run these distances, but I don't really have any appreciable athletic quality other than the ability to suffer. And I don't think that's really something that when they're searching out athletes, they look for that. So in getting ready for Penn Hody, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I probably ran 30 miles a week. I mean, it was probably less than marathon training, to be honest with you, somewhere around there. And I had some theory in my head that don't ever get injured. That's the one thing that I have lucky as far as genetics go. I've never had one single running, even discomfort in my entire life. Um, and I don't know if that's because I didn't overtrain or that's just genetics or a combination of all of the above, but that was sort of the thought process with you know, everyday life going on too is when am I going to find the time to run? And I sort of believed whether it was ignorant or not. And probably a lot of people probably thought it think and thought it was, um, you know, I was probably 25, 30 miles a week for Penn Hody. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a great story on its own because, uh, 25 to 30 miles per week uh, f- to train for Penn Hody and, uh, be, do good at it. Uh, it's difficult, you know, in a hundred miles, you can't, yeah. you, you can't fake a hundred miles. We know that. Yeah. You can't fake a hundred miles. You can fake a 50 K. I've come to that conclusion. I think you can kind of fake a 50 K, but you cannot fake that. And it was, but I did run a bunch of uh, intermediate 50 Ks too. I probably ran, I don't know. I have, I ran the 50 miler in March. And then probably ran three or four more 50Ks before Penhody in November. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely. That, oh. that, that, that helps to train. And then that early stage in trail running, it's hardly there was anybody. I was not even running a trail back then. So, so. Yeah, I mean, it was – and look, I almost – it's funny. My roommate from college was one of my pacers. And we all – literally, I remember standing at whatever the aid station at like mile 79 or 80. And we almost got in a fist fight because he wanted to pull me out of the race. Like he went to go find the race director because I was just out on my feet. And it sort of woke me up and we were literally about to get a a fist fight at one of those aid stations. (laughs) And we we joke about it now, but I mean, it's sort of, I mean, I was out on my feet, but it sort of woke me up. And and then the funny thing was I got to mile 85 and I'd missed a cutoff. And they said, well, your race is done. I said, no, it's not. And they said, you missed a cutoff by like a minute or two. And I just made something up, and I said, your policies and procedures say, I don't know what I told them. And they're like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> so they got on the walkie-talkie and asked them about policies and procedures, and everybody was confused, and they just said, go. 
And so I remember passing the sweeper about mile 85 and a half. And they looked at me like I was strange, you know. And I remember running from like mile 85 to 89. I think were the fastest four miles I ran the entire race. Yeah, that's uh, that's usually fastest. I, I when I ran Pinhoti and I'm about to run again this year. Um, I, I kind of woke up. I was almost falling asleep. Uh, but I kind of woke up about mile 80 and like you said, 85 to 90 or that was the fastest mile I ever ran. And I ran earlier and then day earlier and the next day I was running that. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. Let's, uh, let's move on to, uh, talk about, uh, this Tahoe 200 or 205. I don't know what is it, what it's called. So tell us about it. Yeah, it's called the Tahoe 200. So, you know, as you know, the hundreds became wildly popular and people are, and greatly so, people are running them all over the country. And there's a race director out west, and I don't know her personally, named Candace Burt. Apparently, she's the ultimate guru of race directors out there because she started these 200-mile races about three or four years ago. And I think Tahoe might have been the first. She actually has Moab. They opened up one this year in Moab, and that's 234 miles, but they call it the Moab 200. And then she's got something called the Bigfoot that she runs out. She is the race director. But I think this was sort of the original 200 they started about four years ago. And it's uh it's point to point. I mean, it's around Lake Tahoe through the mountains over there, and it's two hundred and five point five miles. Wow! But they just call it the Tahoe two hundred. So let's talk about two hundred. I mean, I, this is going. Are, are we pushing limit on the on this kind of things? We could. The 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 other two elements, the elevate. If you look at the elevation chart, it's absolutely brutal. I mean, the, it's not some flat. And the thing that I probably are going to have the most, I guess, interesting or problematic thing is the altitude. I'm not, you know, I've been, I've run a couple of times out west, but the, above sea level, it gets to 90, so I was looking at the elevation chart, it gets to 9,716 feet above sea level. Wow. We don't have such elevation here, so. No, we don't. I've been told once you get above 7,500, you're starting to get in territory where the altitude is just, it's brutal. And I mean, the elevator, it's funny, they have like a YouTube video of the start of the race. And, you know, the gun goes off and people go about 300 yards and all of a sudden they start walking because it's literally just straight up at that point. So so what um, is the cutoff time for uh, for the for this? It's time? 100 hours, which doesn't sound too bad. But to put it in context, you know, they have some elite runners come to run this thing. And the guy that won it last year, I think, was a shade under 60 hours. But I think from looking at the finishing time of the people who finish, they're somewhere. The average tends to be somewhere around 85 hours or so. 85 to 90 hours seems to be the sweet spot of where people are finishing. So let's talk about your training. How are you training for uh, this? <laughs> you- I mean, it's, I hate to say it, but it's kind of, a, you know, again, I'm not getting injured. I mean, uh, you know, when I saw you out at uh, Oak Mountain for the, the run out there, you know, the 50K, and then I ran a 50K six days later, you know, and I'm kind of trying to do that because I, I don't know if there is really any formula. Um, you know, I went over to Resolute Running and, and hired Ann Thomas and she's been great. And, you know, she's real big on the back to back long runs, like 30 miles one day and 20 miles the next day. Not necessarily saying I've done that, but that's what she's told me to do, you know, but the, you know, the weird thing, again, I'm not out there blazing 50 Ks. There's so many better runners in Birmingham, including yourself. I mean, if we ran 10 races, you would beat me all 10 times. I don't have any doubt about that, whether it's a hundred miles or 50 miles or 50 K, I don't have any doubt about that. But I mean, after I ran a 50 K out there, I was, I had zero soreness and then went to South Carolina the next week and ran a 50K and had zero soreness. Uh, what that means in the end, I, I don't know. I mean, 200 miles, I don't know if your body's ever made for that, as you said, pushing the limits, but it's sort of a double-edged sword. You've got to respect the distance, 
obviously. And but you've got to ignore the distance because you can talk yourself out of it, especially if you're out there in the middle of the night. If you get caught up in the distance, definitely, and, and that's what I'm trying to tell myself. So, so in, and to, and and doing the research on this 200 uh, get me really yeah. interested. So, <laughs> I, right. I'm not doing it anytime soon. I was already. But you could. That's the thing. I know you could do it if you run five 100 miles and you're out there. I guarantee you run more than I do. It's. I think once you get to that distance, obviously a lot of it you got to have the physical ability to some point. But as you know, the 100 mile. How much? What percentage of 100 mile race do you think is mental? 60%, 70%. I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a really, a truly, if you ask me that question, is 100 miles is not men, mental at all and not even physical. It, it comes from the heart. Um, that's how I able able to run. Right. It's, a, it's right. if you're hard right. and it's hard on the 100 mile, you can do it. Because mentally and physically there, just wanting to stop many, many, many right. times. <laughs> so No, you're right. I mean, it, it comes down to your heart. That's what I mean by mental. I mean non-physical, whether it comes to mental. Like when I ran Penhody, I said, I think my legs got about 50 miles in me. My head has about 30 miles in it, and my heart's going to take me over the last 20 miles. Definitely. Yeah. The, 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 that's that's the main thing. You know, if you're hard in the right place, um, that's that's how I ran my first 100. I want to talk about that. Uh, when I ran my first 100, uh, because I was battling between whether I run 50 or 100, and then um, three, 15 minutes before the race, I, I said, okay, give me give me the 100-mile bib, and I'm just going to go ahead and see what happens. And See, that's the, crazy to me. Yeah, that's, uh, that's crazy to me. I have to talk myself <laughs> in my mind. I have to talk myself into it. For a while i could imagine 15 minutes before the race going up you know yeah. seeing people go down but to go up is insanity <laughs> to me yeah that's a one-time deal maybe uh, they used to right. call me call me bump up but the, what happened is really and truly reflecting back um uh, because uh, my heart was in peace all day and night as i was running it was it was difficult but but i was in peace so i said okay yeah i'm doing it i'm gonna go ahead and see what happens so i kept on running so so that's uh, usually that's that's the case for you, uh, and like I said, uh, two hundred uh, two hundred miles uh, in in a hundred hours. So so you have to divide your time and pace and and, uh, and terrain. Well, you got to figure out the sleep thing too. That's the other. That's the other. At some point, you're gonna have to sleep because I mean, I, you're just gonna get lost. You're gonna get disoriented because it's. I think it's 168 miles of it a single track trail. Yeah, I didn't think and about then, that in sleep part. I mean, yeah. no, I'm sorry. I looked. 176.5 miles of it a single track trail. 21 miles is like a four by four dirt road, and eight miles are paved, just like a paved road. So if you're on a single track trail for 170 something miles, you've got to sleep. And they do a great job out there. They have sleep stations. They have eight stations about every 20 miles. And then I think they put the first sleep station around mile 80 where they have like, you know, sort of high tech tents just for the runners to take whatever nap or whatever they're going to do. The guy that won it last year, I think he said he slept for about an hour and a half out of the 60 hours. Wow. That's still. So that's the other element I don't know about. You can have pacers, but you can't have your first pacer until after 100 miles. Wow. Yeah. That's. Uh... So you've got to get through 100 miles by yourself up there through the mountains and the altitude. And you're just sort of disoriented. That's. Look, I get lost in the parking lot of of Walmart, so that's one of the other concerns I have is getting lost out there. I'm just directionally illiterate, and I know that. But what is going to push you is is the cause you're running. So let's talk sure. about that. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Uh, let's talk you about your Amanda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just heard Amanda talk about her 14-year-old daughter's at running camp, and she's just had chemotherapy this week. You 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 will have to think uh, think through that, and and as the people are supporting you and uh, trying to help you uh, to raise the money, and then you have to think all the people <laughs> counting on you. Yeah, you got to think about that's a lot of pressure. Like Amanda said, I ran Penhody to raise money. 
just for her, just for their family because of the medical bills. You know, I had a website made up and I guess the hundreds or so novel by AL or the Birmingham News at the time wrote an article about it because, you know, 100 miles back in 2010 was just they, they thought that was insanity, you know. Yeah, it, it was unheard of. And then we we're about to have 100 mile in Birmingham. So, right. I mean, so and, I, you know, we're all runners. We're competitive. I admit that I get on Facebook and I see everybody doing great at these hundreds. And I thought, God, can we go bigger than that? You know, that <laughs> that's the that's the ego part in all of us that we have. Honestly, I say that's great. You know. It's a great community and everything. I was like, no, nah, I got to go bigger, you know? So is that is that the reason why you decided to go 200? No, it's a small, I mean, I'm half kidding. It's a small part. I mean, I, Amanda's daughter, Emily, is literally five days older than my daughter. So every time I think about her, I think about my daughter and I think about, you know, what can I do? What can I help? And I, I wouldn't be doing this just for myself if the... You know, I wasn't involved in the charity. I approached them and said, look, this is what I'm thinking about. I, I'm not going to go out there and kill myself uh, figuratively to do this unless there's some other you know, benefit of it. But it's probably 1% of it. You look on Facebook, you see everybody doing 100 miles. You thought, hmm, you know, I'm not as good of a runner. that I'll never beat any of those times, but can I go further? And that's, you know, a little bit of the thought process. Definitely. Uh, talking about uh, running 200, uh, are you taking anybody with you? Yeah, my roommate from college will probably go. Um, you know, he's, he's like a brother to me. He was the one that almost got in a fist fight with out at, uh, you know, out at Penhody. And I'm sure I'll take some, uh, other people out there too, as far as, you know, with the running aspect. Um, and I don't know what to do about the, you know, as far as the pacers go, because like I said, you can't have them after until after mile 100. And by then I'll have a better grasp of what I'm staring in the face. I think I will, but I just, when you get to that point, you just have no idea how your body's going to react. Again, I've been lucky. I've never had a running even discomfort. As far as the ultras go, I could eat anything anytime, and I've never had any stomach issues. So those kind of issues I'm not worried about. The altitude that causes me the most concern. Yeah. Well, when is this race? It's September 8th is when it starts. It's like the week after Labor Day weekend. Yeah, you don't have much time. Uh, you definitely, you need to get some <laughs> some miles and altitude, altitude training. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've talked to some of the folks at Resolute Running, and they – and they say, you know, that it, running in the middle of the heat um, sort of is the best simulation. And, and I do have some weird training habits like that. Like I'll intentionally, and I don't recommend this, I'll go out there, try to run dehydrated. You know, I'll go run 13 or 15 miles without any water, dehydrated. Or I'll go out there immediately after eating, like eating a huge meal and then immediately go running. Cause, and my body doesn't react that bad to it. So I'm trying to prepare myself when that inevitable breakdown is going to occur in these races. At some point, my body is not going to want to do anything more. And I try to train my body as much as I can uh, by doing that. And I'm a full believer in it. And it probably wouldn't work unless I honestly believe that when I go out there and I run dehydrated and I'm dying of thirst, that it ends up helping me when my body has a problem out there you know, during this 200. I have actually changed a little bit in philosophy and, and such a thing to go extreme. Um, I think I needed to eat. I'm, I'm going to start training eating more. Um, I, right. I, was, I used to be like you, dehydrated and stuff. Um, now I'm, I'm not eating at all. Now I'm trying to go opposite of hydrating more, eating more, and to see what it, what works during training so I can take uh, my last uh, – when I, when I ran Lake Martin and then uh, ran 50-mile, uh, run for kids, run for Nepal, 12-hour uh, run, kind of woke me up really uh, saying, hey, you know, I need to kind of think about 
my diet and my hydration plan during the races, especially, you know, Coke products and, you know, some of those things will keep you awake because I was literally falling asleep. No, I agree with that. I mean, I mean, I try to train in the worst conditions. So when the race day comes and everything is in theoretic working well, it'll help me like the, you know, the race for kids when you're out there for racing Nepal this year, I had a theory. like, I'm going to stay out as late as I can the night before and then go out there and run it when I'm miserable. And that's what I did. I mean, I, and it's sort of, you know, to try to get any sort of pain, not, not, not like masochistic sort of pain, but literally because your body's not built, built to run 200 miles that I, I want to go out there and suffer as much as I can in these 50 K's or whatever these races are, uh, to get my body used to it as much as I can, because I'm lucky in the sense, again, I don't, I don't really have any adverse reactions afterwards or during i think it during the race for kids i I threw up at like mile 18 and i felt infinitely better and probably (laughs) ran a better back half than i did front i mean i was out there dry even and throwing up everywhere i remember somebody stopping and going oh my god do we need to get you somebody i'm like no let me just get through this yeah i I think it changes with the time that's what's happening to me i'm I'm kind of becoming a little change with the time um so have you thought about going like a colorado or something like that uh, for a week or so or, or i mean i don't have i mean i'm a single dad a 14 year old lives with me i don't i mean we're actually heading to europe on monday so i shouldn't say i don't have the time but i mean i just uh you know i i don't have the ability to go out to colorado a week and just go out there and run or i don't have the ability to go five days before the race starts to go out there i just don't definitely got you uh, yeah and, I, and this sounds crazy but like ignorance is my friend sometimes like when i was about to run Penhody, they're like are you gonna go out to the trail and i'm like why would i want to go see that why would i want to go see the misery of what's gonna come about i mean i have some theory that i can I can take my mind and body a certain amount of times to a certain places. And that's why I don't, people are like, why don't you run a bunch of 100s getting ready for the 200? And I'm like, that's just so taxing on me that I feel like I only have so many, you know, uh, bullets in the chamber that I, that I need to be selective of when I'm going to fire that gun and when I'm not. That's I, kind of the thought process. The other thing I do when I run mentally, and this sounds silly too, but like I prepare if something happens bad. Like I'm ready to, in my mind, to fall and break a finger or something like that. So if it does happen during the race, I won't freak out mentally. Like I, I have thought about that. What happens if you break an arm or what happens if you break a finger or something like that, where it won't just be automatically get me out of the race because I've already walked through it through my mind so many times. Definitely. Changing a little topic a little bit, uh, uh, let's uh, discuss a little bit about the foundation. Uh, uh, can you tell us uh, how people can contribute to your journey? Yeah, there's a Facebook page that we've started that uh, if you put in the search box of Run 205, Hope for Autumn, it'll pull it up and you can donate directly. What we're trying to do is get people to donate $20.55, you know, which represents the 205.5 miles or something around there to try to just raise money and it's all tax deductible you know it goes straight to the straight to the 501c3 it's piped into you know their account or you can just go to the hopeforautumn.org website and you can donate that way online too definitely uh talk about um hope for autumn uh and tell us about what other things the running community can do i know amanda talked a little bit about that let's discuss what our trail running or road running community can do to to the foundation yeah, I mean, obviously, the I mean, I hate to say it, but the money helps. And, you know, the like she said, what can personally help me is share these Facebook pages. You know, things can catch as a wildfire. If somebody sees me, you know, I, I'll share it on my personal page or you can follow it on the uh, uh, on the uh, the run 205 uh, Hope for Autumn. And you can follow it and just sort of share those Facebook posts just to get the word out to other running communities, because 
the research I did on these 200-mile races, I think, and I may be wrong about this, as far as these three or four races they have out west, I think I'm the first person from Alabama to try, and I may be wrong about that. There's not that many, and there's not that many people from the south that have been out here to these three or four races. There's a couple of people from Georgia, maybe a couple of people from Tennessee. So I don't really don't have anybody. I was going to try to find somebody in Alabama to pick their brains, but I, I don't think anybody from Alabama has tried one of these out there. Definitely. I, I haven't heard anybody from, from this area to try 200 mile, going beyond 100 miles. So, uh, for in a one, one single setting. So, uh, so, so that'll be interesting, uh, as you getting prepared and following you and, and try to see how, how you progress on your process. So do you regularly post your, uh, your training, training plans, and what are you doing? Yeah, I've gotten better about it. I need to do more. I mean, I'm terrible at the promotion part, you know, trying to – I need to spread the word better, but I'm starting to do more and more of it. You know, I, when I run some of these 50Ks or – I mean, I don't do it every single time I go run because it just becomes sort of monotonous. But, yeah, I try to put something up there or, uh, you know, went, ran at Oak Mountain in the rain 13, 14 miles yesterday, put something about that. Um and yes. again, just trying to spread the word. I was on the Magic 96.5, did a radio interview that aired yesterday. And so, you know, the race is, what, two and a half months. And then these things, the steam sort of starts picking up and in trying to raise the money. Definitely. It uh, takes a while. I just recently ran for charity, and it takes a while to get the word out. So Yeah, and, I mean, you guys are great. I mean, you're great with the run for Nepal. I mean, there's the, the interesting thing about the Birmingham, there's so many legendary runners. I read about, like, guys like Jimmy Barnes and guys that are world record holders, and they like, I can't even wrap my head around what those guys do, you know. Yeah. Um, no. there, there's so many great runners. I think I ran Owen Bradley, like, ran a 50-mile race and then turned around and ran a sub-245 marathon the next day. He won the 50-mile race, and then the very next day he ran like a sub-245 marathon. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was at, I was at the, almost both of them the races. I didn't run one. I didn't run the 50-mile, but I did run the marathon, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. That's, that's more insane than this 200 miles. It's you know, like you said, the 200 miles is just a battle of wills at some point. I mean, you got to have some physical baseline, but when you get out there, I mean, people ask me, are you are you nervous? Yes. Of course I am right now, but, I mean, by the time I line up on, you know, that day on September 8th, those 100 hours are going to pass no matter what I do. We can't control time. It's which side of personal history do I want to be on? I mean, I'm going to suffer and it's going to hurt, so I might as well do anything in the world I can to get on the other side of that 205 miles. Definitely. Uh, one of the thing I usually people ask me and I tell people like, you know, we, we discuss whenever there's a thing goes wrong in running and, uh, you know, for a hundred mile, it, yeah, it goes wrong. Not only one time, several times. So, so you're multiplied by two, three times. I mean, I can yeah. imagine for 200. So. Yeah, I can't either. Like I said, any a ninety nine point ninety nine hours and fifty nine minutes and fifty nine seconds means my training has gone perfect. That's right. That's I just want to get in by one second, and that's it. You know. Definitely, and uh, we'll we'll definitely watching you to progress to, uh, to get ready to uh, line up for the September race. So. Yeah, no, and I appreciate it. Like I said, you guys, I mean, you you do a great job in the running community with the photographs and the podcast of. Of doing it, so I appreciate you giving me a chance. Because look, you've had legends on this podcast. I mean, I've only run one marathon in my life. I'm again, I'm not. I mean, you guys are. I, I view what you guys do are a lot more dedicated. And like I said, I got a couple of bullets in the, I mean, in the chamber, and this is one of them, or try to be one of them. Yeah, definitely. Now, no pressure on you. And now, once I put the podcast out, you gotta get get this get the two hundred five miles done. So, isn't that the best peer pressure at its best? I mean, that's what it's made for. You know, <laughs> you're exactly. Oh, don't think I won't think about that on the mountain. Of course you do. <laughs> of course, I think about this foundation, and I think of 
you know, I was the idiot on the podcast that said I saw everybody running 100 and I was going to go do 200. Well, that doesn't mean anything unless I go do it. I'll think about those kind of things as motivation. Definitely. Greg, uh, we, we talked a lot, a lot about uh, your your upcoming journey, a uh, 200-mile journey to through the t- Lake Tahoe um, as as you getting ready for the for the for the event um, what, what do you want to put a, some word out there for for our listener to talk about what do you want to say your last word yeah no I appreciate it like I said it'll be a, an adventure for me I don't have any idea how it's gonna uh, turn out I'm sure there'll be some good follies of me hallucinating or throwing up on myself or something to that effect. But seriously, I appreciate your help. And uh, I mean, anything with the foundation, like you heard, you know, Amanda's story about literally they started that thing in a cul-de-sac in Ross Bridge and raised like a couple hundred dollars the first year. And now they're raising hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you heard the story of, you know, her child having a 4% chance of survival. And now the kid's off in running camp right now. So, I mean, if I, what they go through every single day i can go out there and suffer for 100 hours because those kids suffer till you know, from the beginning uh, the beginning of time as they fight through this they're so much more tough uh, than we ever dreamed about being definitely uh sounds like a great cause you're running you have a heart to run the race and uh, looking forward to uh, uh listen to you and uh, post uh, 205 tahoe 205 or 200 uh, mile journey so good luck with uh, your training uh, come out and train with us sometime Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. If you have a need to cover your events from marketing to taking photos, please contact mruns.com by emailing at marathonruns at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of Emruns Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast channel, Voice of Runners, at iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and more. And also follow our social media channel, Marathon Runs, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.